A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have Hardy Smith with me. Hardy is an expert on nonprofit board engagement. Um, and as, as somebody who works with a lot of nonprofits, uh, it's, it's, I think this is a, a field that needs a lot of work and a lot of help. Um, he's written a, um, a great book, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game, and um, a lot of good content in it. Uh, but he's also got a great story behind him. Welcome, Hardy. Thanks for being with us today. Chris, thank you so very much. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to visit with, with all of your uh, transformative listeners. Thank you. Well, good. And so, you know, like, like all of our guests, you've got a really interesting story, and, and I don't want to steal any thunder here, but, you know, as um, somebody who's watched NASCAR, has, has done some work with NASCAR, you know, you've got NASCAR in your past, and that was part of how you got to where you are. I don't want to tip too, too much of the story, but, but I, I want to start at the beginning because all of your experiences led up to you becoming the expert that you are today. And, um, I'd love you to share some of your story. Tell, tell our listeners your, your, your life in a brief. Well, Chris, thank you so very much. And that could be like a special edition, entire podcast all on its own, but I know we won't get, we won't get there today. Uh, real, real briefly kind of back, you know, back in the day, um, I'm uh, originally from uh, Talladega in, in Alabama, um, and uh, small small town community, uh, and was literally one of those people. Uh, when you hear the story about it takes a village, uh, you know, to raise a child, I was one of those children. Uh, so extremely fortunate uh, to have uh, a number of great experiences. Uh, growing up in that small town. And a lot of those experiences happened on a national and international level without ever having to leave the small town. And uh, I wound up uh, during high school and college working in small market radio. Um, after college, uh, still working in small market radio. But obviously the, the speedway there in Talladega um, was was a, a growing uh, of importance um, in what happened in the community. And as I came along with community involvement, community engagement, uh, the Speedway really adopted me. And one of those supporters that was helping raise this young kid, right? And, and uh, as I got involved in different activities, they would always support me. And then eventually I wound up uh, going to work for the Speedway itself um, and involved in a whole lot of different community type activities, which included uh, nonprofit activities and association sure. activities and the Chamber of Commerce and those kind of things. So the involvement in nonprofits and community activities and working with volunteers, all of those things started at a very young age for me and then was developed uh, because of all this community uh, support and, and hardy raising and rearing by the Talladega community. And then when I, um, after a few years at the Speedway in Talladega, uh, I was uh, given an opportunity to, to move to the corporate uh, operation of in Daytona Beach of International Speedway Corporation and NASCAR and then uh, became the uh, director of public affairs for ISC and NASCAR at that time, and then worked all over the country and worked continued to work with nonprofits and associations, community groups, chambers of commerce, um, both professionally as part of my professional role and also personally. So the, so the background that I bring to the table is a little bit different. I'm into the nonprofit sector. I'm not a nonprofit professional uh, lifer. And, you know, that, that's great if you're one of those people. That's, you know, uh, more power to you, but that's yeah. not me. So I bring the whole, my experience, and I work 30 years in that high-performance world of NASCAR racing, and I bring that results-oriented mindset, you know, 
take it apart after a race, put it all back together again. And why the heck did that thing work the way it worked or not? And I bring that approach to my work with nonprofits. So obviously, you know, though you haven't been a nonprofit lifer per se, like working within a nonprofit, I, and I think that that brings, um, by the way, some some great outside expertise. You have been involved. I mean, you know, as yes. you know, as the you know community um, liaison, as you you know, if you will, and you know, the person. You know, most sports teams have somebody who interacts with the not the local nonprofits, et cetera, supports them. And obviously NASCAR did as well. Did, um, did NASCAR have outreach throughout the whole country or just where it had raceways? And what was, um, were there any like nonprofits of choice that they supported? Well, the, there is a, a very, uh, big involvement and in, in support level, uh, uh, from NASCAR, uh, into the world of nonprofits and charitable causes and has its own foundation and all of that. Um, and I worked in all 50 states. I, I worked uh, in political relations, community relations nationwide. So I was involved uh, in issues that affected motorsports, affected the NASCAR world. And that's why I was coming into contact with so many community groups, um, again, across the country. So it was a pretty, pretty uh, intensive experience, if you will. Yeah, and in those interactions, I'm saw you. I'm sure you saw a lot of really, really good, high quality nonprofits, and you probably saw some that were, let's just say, on the other end of the spectrum that could have could have really used some help. Oh, absolutely. And in, in in the world of nonprofits, uh, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting uh, uh, situation, Chris. Uh, it, it's a bless your heart kind of a world. It, it's so many. You know, the passion is there. Uh, so many dedicated people, both professionally and from on the volunteer side and from the board side. Um, and everyone wants to just do good. Um, but there's a whole lot of just trying to do good and having good intentions uh, that actually doesn't go right. Uh-huh. And in one of the areas where it doesn't go right is in uh, the relation that is what I say is the dif- dysfunctional relationship between nonprofits and their boards. And this is what that observation and that experience is what led led to the book project itself, uh, because the conflict of boards not doing what they're supposed to do not meeting expectations, uh, having such a, a hot mess type uh, relationship between uh, nonprofit professionals and board members themselves means what? It, it means the mission suffers. The mission doesn't happen. The potential of a great cause doesn't happen. And there's a whole lot of great advice, or let's just say there's a whole lot of advice on dealing with the issue of boards not being engaged at the level they they ought to be engaged at. Uh, but none of that advice seems to be working. Lots of books, lots of webinars, yep. Yep. lots of workshops, lots of speeches, lots of training, but still the issue is still there. So I saw that that here's a situation that, that needs to be addressed. What I did differently and what the, the book does differently it's from the perspective of the board member. So when is this, as I saw this problem really just getting worse and worse and worse and not going away, no end in sight, I reached out to board members. I did a, a nationwide study of board members and contacts that I had across the country. And Chris, I just pitched the question to them. Well, why don't you do what you're supposed to do? And I got the answers. And then from those answers, created uh, solutions and the how-tos that help fix a broken relationship dynamic. Excellent, excellent. Now, have you found through the years that um, that the, how should I say it, the engagement varies based on size and, and longevity? Um, case in point, for instance, um, you know, my wife, my wife sits on the board of a very small nonprofit right now, and I've worked with larger nonprofits. And it's like two, 
totally different animals when it comes to engagement. And, and I would say it's not whether or not they're engaged or disengaged, but the type of engagement and what they believe they need to do is very, very different. And yet they all seem to have a certain level of dysfunction to them. You are absolutely correct. So from, from the local group that, that perhaps your wife has had experience in, um, you know, those types of situations, um, the, the expectation ask could very well be different. Uh, for example, in, in, a, in a smaller community or a localized nonprofit, the board may be a hands-on board where they're asked to, you know, they're actually asked to provide manpower assistance. So they're, they're the worker bees. Sure. Um, whereas on a larger and a larger nonprofit situation, maybe a regional or national group, they may be more of a, a strategic uh, type of organization. And it just depends. There's no right or wrong answer. It's what my belief, uh, Chris is it all depends on each individual unique nonprofit and what their, what their need is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so when, you know, your, your title, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game, you know, what, what is the blame game? How do you describe that? <laughs> that that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and the blame game comes very simply from, you know, we, we know that on the professional side, the organizational side, Again, there's a whole lot of angst, a whole lot of stress and frustration, a whole lot of finger pointing at board members for not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, in my research, I found out that there's a whole lot of board members, Chris, nationwide who are passionate about serving the cause they signed up to serve, but are not happy at all with the board experience that they're having. And they, in turn, point that other finger back at the nonprofit and the nonprofit staff for not creating the positive experience that they were looking for. So is it the two fingers pointing at each other on that cover? Yeah, well, yeah. And so it is it's it's like a vicious cycle, really. And so, you know, and you find that these poor people who are in the 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 job of executing the board vision, they're, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. I mean, I, you know, so I, I don't tend to work with the boards. I tend to work more with the, you know, the, the business, if you will, of the nonprofit, right. The, the yeah. actual executing of the, the goals. And, um, you know, I see everything. I, I see, I see groups that are very thankful for their boards and the way the participants to the ones who are rolling their eyes, like, I can't believe we've got another board meeting and I have to go through this. Well, and and what happens, and you're you're really you're really touching on the tip of the iceberg of, of several of the issues, and there's a laundry list of issues here in this in this relationship dynamic that that's just not working, and there's reasons for those issues, and unfortunately, um, nonprofits tend to see and board leadership to a degree sees these issues. They're experiencing these issues. And don't seem to, you know, be willing to do the work necessary uh, to find out, well, exactly why does the issue exist? Um, Or they just, they may, they want to make a change, but don't know how to make a change. And a lot of the issues as far as in board engagement issues, Chris, come from the fact that nonprofits organizationally commit the same mistakes in board relationships and keep repeating the same mistakes. So they keep trying the same thing. You know, you've heard, heard the old line about trying the same thing and expecting a different result. It doesn't work. Uh And that's what I'm proposing is, Hey, look, we we've been trying this thing for a long time and, and we need to think differently. And if I, I can just borrow the name from your pad podcast, we need to be transformative in these relationships uh, with our board members. So is there, um, is there kind of a red flag or an initial trigger or, or actually maybe the question before this one is um, can boards be oblivious to this happening? 
Oh no, no, they, they know it. They, they, my experience is they know it. It's, it's front and center. Now there are signs that are there. Um, in in kind of, you know, in, in a relationship, um, you know, it, it, uh, the two individuals, uh, go to relationship, you know, it's just not happening between two individuals. So they say, okay, let's, let's go talk to somebody about this. And then, so, you know, you, you start having a conversation, very honest and open, uh, conversation. Once the, you know, once those barriers kind of get broken down, the counselor, uh, therapist does that. And, um, all of a sudden it's, Oh, wow. Um, Hmm. I didn't realize that was a problem. I didn't, you know, it, it's very rare. It, it's probably frequent that, that one partner in a relationship isn't aware uh-huh. that's true, but it's also, I would very rare in a two party relationship that, um, both parties aren't contributing to the problem. Yeah, there's, there's, there's always two sides and always two contributors. Hardy, we're up on our first break, so we need to take a, a couple-minute break. Uh, stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Hardy Smith. So Hardy, before the break, I mean, we, we were starting to get into some of the, um, you know, whether or not a board could be aware of this and, the, you know, the two sides certainly of, of any relationship. And there can be one side that could be, you know, in theory, oblivious to the, to the problem. I've seen, I've seen boards where, um, you know, they know that something's not right, but they don't know what it is. And sometimes it can even be just one person that's off. It could, it, it could take one person on a large board that could be throwing the whole thing out of kilter. Have you experienced that? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, there, there's a, you know, I'm a sports fan and uh, there's a whole lot of truth uh, to, you know, playing sports, uh, coach sports. Uh, there's a whole lot of truth, uh, Chris, to that uh, locker room chemistry. Yeah. And that, that applies to boardroom chemistry as well. And remember in, in the, in the dynamic we're talking about that nonprofit professional, that CEO or president, uh, they're a part of the boardroom chemistry also. So some tips that things aren't, aren't maybe not quite where they need to be. Uh, look at the, look at the, uh, dynamics around a board meeting. So, um, is, is attendance uh, where it needs to be? Uh, do you have board members who are um, not keeping up with attendance? Uh, it's obvious that they haven't prepared for a meeting, haven't read the minutes, haven't digested the, the pre-meeting information packet. Uh, they're not engaged in the meeting. They're not ans- asking questions. Or, you know, and uh, in a manner that says, wow, you know, we have a significant um, issue here and should be showing some interest. Um, and they're just kind of, you know, they might get to the arrive to the meeting uh, at the last minute. And then they're the first ones to leave as soon as the meeting is over. Um, and then, you know, that tells me that's a big red flag. Um, and because they're just they're they're just there. 
Um, and then, you know, some, some other uh, red flags are, are, are they not, uh, is a board member not participating in non-board meeting type activities uh, that are important to the nonprofit? And there's probably a reason for that. Um, and so there, there are signals um, that, um, that, you know, the nonprofit professionals should pick up on and also board leaders um, should pick up on as well. So what, um, what do you think are some of the root causes for that disengagement? The number one reason is, are you ready for this? Yeah. You got the wrong people. I mean, your team isn't winning. Well, why isn't the team winning? Well, is it the coach or is it the players? Um, and, you know, if your, your, your quarterback can, you know, can't throw a downfield pass or can't get rid of the ball in the, you know, so many fractions of seconds before the rush is about to sack him, you know, or the offensive line can't hold the, you know, defense off, off the quarterback and it's hard to play quarterback on your butt. You know, it, it, uh, you got the wrong people. So, you know, that, that all goes back into, um, your recruiting process. And the, the challenge here is again, nonprofits, commit the same errors. It, it's like a rinse and repeat situation, unfortunately, and don't place, don't recruit board members with what I say is intentionality. Uh-huh. And so you typically, uh, all too often, unfortunately, uh, Chris organizations will wait until the last minute and there's no need to, you know, when terms are up, you know, when the annual meeting is, you know, when board seats will be, will be filled. Right. Um, and why, how important is your mission is my challenge. If your mission is important enough, then shouldn't your board selection be equally as important? So that's prop. That's part of the situation. Um, and we just, we just go out and grab, uh, who we grab. And so there's a whole, what I have done is outline the process of how to recruit uh, new board members with purpose and process yeah. as a way to get around that. I, I think that's, it's really true of any position in any organization. Sometimes you've got the wrong person in the wrong seat. And I think, Absolutely. you know, I, 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 I buying what you're saying because I've seen it. I think a lot of times, you know, the, the original board that creates the nonprofit are all fully engaged, obviously, and they, they have some success and they're able to build the, build the nonprofits to a certain point. Then they start bringing people in. And, and what I've seen are things like, well, you know, what talents do we need on the board? And so again, they, they look at things the wrong way. Um, they, they look at the kind of the skills that can be brought to help the board achieve or the nonprofit achieve, but they don't look at the fit. They don't look at, at the other part. When we, when we work with organizations, we talk about culture fit, that when you interview for somebody, any role, the culture fits the hard piece. You can find people with the skills, but are they a fit to your organization? And we always say, we've got to turn it around, find the people that are the culture fit and then figure out where they belong. Then the other way, you know, than, than the skills, because then you miss this whole piece. So now you've got a, a nonprofit that says, oh, you know, we really need to have a lawyer. And you know what? Lawyer is a good idea on the board of a nonprofit, right? They can bring a lot of skills. But if the, the lawyer has just no, um, no alignment, no fit to the cause, then what good is it? Well, and you're exactly right. And just kind of jumping kind of, you know, in reverse just a little bit in the process when you're, you're, you're hundred percent about developing, you know, the, the what, and then you start thinking about the who. Um, but even before that is identifying uh, the engagement, engagement expectation. And what I found is all too many nonprofits are so eager. Uh, for example, we, we want to, we want to recruit uh, Chris to, to be a member of our board and we have a pretty active board and we've got a lot of things going on. We've got a big fundraising activity that we want our board members to be involved in. But because we put off our board recruitment process and selection until the last minute, the conversation we have with Chris is pretty thin. It doesn't go very deep into detail at all. And 
the reason that I see that that conversation that I need to have had with Chris, which doesn't happen with Chris, is because I'm afraid when Chris hears what the expectation is, he'll say no and turn me down. And now I don't have somebody to fill that seat. So unfortunately, the here's where we really start. The situation gets worse from a relationship. You know, how many relationships work out over a long period of time when one individual says, you know, I've got some pretty big expectations or my potential partner has got maybe not quite meet my expectations, but I know that I can fix it. I can uh-huh. fix them. Right. Yes. So we, we get them to the, we get them to the, I do altar of uh, board service. And then at that first meeting, we lay out, well, Chris, here's what we're expecting you to do. Well, that's, I call that bait and switch. Uh-huh. And in the advertising and marketing world, that's illegal. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. But now someone who had indicated an interest to serve is now hit with things that they are not committed to do. And you knew that, you, you know, it, you're setting the situation up for failure. They're not happy. They're not doing what you thought they were supposed to do, but they never agreed to any of that to start out with. And so that just keeps compounding, compounding, compounding. So a lot of times, you know, we could have that conversation with a board member prospect and maybe they're too busy. Maybe they've just got too many things on their plate, just can't meet those expectations, but we keep pushing, we keep pushing, we keep pushing. Ah, come on, Chris, you'd be great. You'd be great. You know, don't, don't worry about, don't worry about the time. Just do it what you can, when you can, you'll be great. Well, that's wrong. And, and we keep pushing. So we push to convert someone who's trying to tell us no, we push them into a yes. And I, I'm telling you, sometimes no from a board prospect is the best answer you can get yes. for the prospect and you as well. And maybe it's a no today. It could be a yes tomorrow, but don't push someone into saying yes, just, just because you're trying to, to fill a seat. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather have a fast no than than a maybe that ends up going wrong later, right? Or or forcing somebody, I, you know, coercing anybody into anything is never a good idea. In the long run, it, it certainly back backlashes at you. And and even in some of the sales training today, I think it's, I want to say, I think it's Sandler Sales or one of them. They they push the concept of get to the no, um, you know, because if, if you're really not interested, don't string it out. Just say no now, and I can move on. But we really Absolutely do right. get enamored and we really try to make things happen. It's, I was sitting in on an interview recently, um, you know, client asked me to sit in and maybe ask some questions and we got to the end of the interview and they said, well, you know, what'd you think? And I said, well, who was interviewing who here? Because it seemed like you spent the whole time <laughs> selling them out why they should come to your company. You spent no time really evaluating whether they're a good fit. Absolutely right. And for prospective board members, uh, well, as a nonprofit, you should expect your prospective board members to ask questions themselves. So it's a cross interview, right? It's a two-way interview process. They should show some interest and they should be asking clarification questions to find out exactly what's expected of them and, and be able to uh, communicate understanding and acceptance that they're willing to, to do what they're being asked to do. So, so then how do you find them? Because, you know, it, it doesn't, I, I've not really seen a good methodology for this other than, you know, they, they really sometimes pull them from their donor base, people that are already engaged in, in the, the, the nonprofit, but not a lot of donors want to get involved at that level either. Well, and it, it depends, you know, what the expectation is. Um, and if you're, if you're uh, expecting your board members to be fundraisers, then you better recruit fundraisers and not, everyone on the planet is willing to ask, as a matter of fact, let me change that. Not very many people on the planet are willing to ask someone else for money. They just don't want to do it. Even if they have money themselves, they're not willing to ask someone else or their friends. Right. And going just a little deeper with that, um, if you're going for a board member 
uh, is a potential new board. Someone is a potential new board member, Chris, um, and they're already on five or six other boards. And that's the qualification. You see, okay, whoo, we ought to get that individual. Well, how many, think about this, how many times are you willing to go to your friends and ask them for money? How many, I mean, how, how many times, oh gosh, Chris is calling again. Yeah. Uh, he wants another check. So if you want board members who are fundraisers, you've got to get proven fundraisers. And just because you're a good fundraiser doesn't mean you're going to make a good governance board member. And governance is the number one responsibility of any nonprofit mm-hmm. organization, whether you're at the local level or a national level. Yeah, I, I once read that there were three, really three modes of operating in governance, right? There's the strategic mode, there's the fiduciary, which is probably the some regards most important, and there's the generative. So the fiduciary mode, obviously, is making sure that the, you maintain the um, financial integrity of the organization, strategic about where you're going, and generative is everything from generating ideas to going out and generating funds. Um, can you have different different expectations of engagement for different board members? And, and what about when you start getting into board committees? Absolutely. And the key is to have the critical conversation with the board itself um, on, you know, put, put your list of expectations out there and, and let the board uh, engage in a critical conversation. Okay. So maybe out of 10 items on a checklist of things we would like our board to be uh, very involved in and committed to, Maybe they're they're saying you know we'll 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 take on collectively we'll take on six of these, all right. Well then six out of ten that's the sweet spot that's where they're going to perform, um, and 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 every organization is different. Every organization is unique, um, but you've you you asking and telling you know there's a big difference between asking and telling. Um, it's taken me a a while. My wife is. Finally, after a long marriage, I'm a little bit slow, but uh, after 48 years, you know, I've finally learned there's a huge difference if I ask rather than try to tell. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, that there is. That there is. Well, um, Hardy, we're already up on our second break. So um, let's go ahead. We'll take a couple minutes. We'll be back and we'll continue our conversation with Hardy Smith. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Hardy Smith. So, um, Hardy, we've spent a lot of time talking about recruiting and right people in and wrong people out. But but let's assume now you've got the board, you've got some people in everything. The next real step of it is functioning relationships. Because, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen boards. I remember that one of the very first boards I ever worked with, um, I'd done a lot of corporate work, and I was brought in because they had eight board members that wouldn't talk to each other. 
I mean, it was just a total breakdown of functionality. And, and I walked out of that room thinking, oh, my gosh, these, these guys are never going to survive. Now, long story short, we kind of got them there, but it took a lot of hard work. I'd love to know from your perspective, though, um, you know, you've, you've done a ton of work in this, much more than I ever did. Um, how, do you, you know, how do you work on the relationships? How do you fix them? Um, what are some of the key indicators of the issues? And just I'm going to leave it open to you to talk about that a little bit. Chris, that's really great. Um, and you, uh, you, you hinted um, at it where I'm, I'm going to go uh, a few moments ago when, when you mentioned the uh, right fit. So it might have the qualifications, but not maybe the right fit. And from a personality standpoint, so let's, let's talk about that. And because those situations happen, and unfortunately, and probably more often, I mean, they just happen frequently. Um, to, to get to a, uh, so let's take it from a positive angle to, to create a culture of collaboration, to have a collaborative board. Um, so we're going to assume that we're recruiting the right people. Um, so the key here is to not mess it up. And what, what are some of the things that, that will mess it up? Number one, um, ensure that board meetings, uh, are considered a safe place, when a board member, especially a newer uh, board member, uh, feels uh, safe and confident in asking questions, um, pushing to, to get an answer for something they're not quite sure about. Again, you know, you mentioned earlier about fiduciary responsibility. Board members, regardless of where you are in the country, are legally liable for decisions that are either made or not made um, by a board. It doesn't matter if you miss the meeting or not. You're a part of the board and you are legally responsible for what the board does or does not do. So it behooves you to ask questions before voting on something you aren't really quite sure about or even disagree with. So how do you create a, 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 a safe place? One of the best resources I've read um, is the, the name of the book is Creativity Inc. Mm -hmm. by Ed Catmull. Uh, Ed Catmull helped found Pixar. And now he's also co-running Disney Animation. And I used to think when I, oh, well, that's an interesting book. It's it's the business, the backstory behind how, you, how they made a toy story. Well, yeah, but Pixar is a whole lot more than just a bunch of cartoon animated movies. And what Ed Catmull helped create was a culture of collaboration among competing interests of individuals. They had the creatives, they had the writers, they had the producers, they had the artists, they had the animators, they had the voiceover people, everybody with a finger in the pie of making a movie. And they were going down the path of taking way too long to get a project done and spending way too much money to make a project happen. So then they finally figured out instead of arguing and going at each other and backbiting and all of that and turf protecting, what they did was let's create an environment where everybody can contribute to a final product that we're all proud of and is going to do have the results that we want it to have. So what were the, some of those key things? Number one, in, in, in their production meetings, so translate Pixar production meetings to board meeting conversations, every idea is a good idea. Mm -hmm. No judgment. Every uh, question is welcomed and encouraged. Again, I'm emphasizing uh, especially encouraging newer board members. And it's important to have a board chair who is a good facilitator in a, in a corporate, think about this, Chris, someone from the corporate world who's used to leading the, the if you're a local group, if used to leading uh, from the CEO suite, um, a team of team of employees, well, there's not necessarily consensus making there, is there? No, it's here's a decision. Go implement the decision. Yeah. Um, well, when you're working with volunteers, it's totally different. So you need a good board chair with the ability to facilitate good consensus building 
uh, conversation, critical conversations among board members. And so have that safe place. If you can have that safe place and ideas are starting to happen, then you start building those relationships that are so important uh, to the organization. And that's, that's, one of, that's one of the keys. The next is making sure you have effective communication. And from anyone, again, anyone in a, in a relationship understands the number one challenge, the number one key reason that is so important for effective, for, for longstanding relationships is effective communication. And when I do a presentation on effective communications or the importance of communications in a relationship, Chris, I'm got effective in big, bold, red letters and underlined because from nonprofits, you could standpoint, you could say, well, Hardy, you know, I'm sending out emails. I've got the board packet. Um, I'm doing all these things and no one pays attention to it. Well, you know, Chris, you're in marketing, you understand communications, just communicating doesn't mean you're breaking through. It yes. doesn't mean anyone's paying attention to you. That means your communication may or may not be working. So the challenge here is recognizing that every, you know, visualize all those faces around your boardroom, every single one of those individuals around that board table has a different and individual preference for how they want to be communicated with the level of communication they want, the frequency that they want, how much detail they want, how they want the information delivered. And I'm repeating that. And I mean, by in clarification, um, is it in an email? Is it in a printout packet? Uh, in some cases, just, uh, you know, maybe not quite to this degree, but they want a, a, a text message. So, you know, uh, when I worked in the world of NASCAR racing and had a chance to work for, for NASCAR chairman, Bill France Jr., um, he would call me in and ask for a situation report. And I would go into a typical hearty, long-winded answer with a whole lot of details and trying to state my case. And he says, Hardy, look, just tell me, is it raining? Yes or no. I don't need a full weather forecast. So, you know, I, okay, yes or no, it's raining. It's not raining. Then if he wants more details, he'll ask. Right. So you've got to look at every single board member in that way. Now, wh what have I just done? I've got, I've got nonprofit leaders listening to your, your podcast and they're thinking, great, Hardy, I'm already overworked and understaffed. And all you've done is just make my, make the suggestion. My life is a whole lot harder because you want me instead of doing one communication piece to 12 different people. And sometimes even more than that. Now I have to do it 12 different ways. Well, my question back to you is how bad do you want it? How bad do you want a super engaged board and do you want your board communication to be effective? And that's just what it takes. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because what's the cost of bad communication? I, I, we, it's like one of the number one things that comes up in every company and not just once, but multiple times, you know, we have a communication issue. We have a communication issue. We have a communication issue. Well, fix it. Right. And what are you willing to do to do that? Because, um, we just think that, oh, I should be able to send out one email and it it's, should be enough. Why don't they get it? But you've hit on all of it. We've, we've talked about different learning styles. Some people are visual learners. Some people are audible learners. Some people are kinesthetics. They have to touch it, feel it. Um, people receive. Some people want the summary. Some people want the detail. And, you know, great leaders meet their their audience with the communication those people need. So we can sit around and complain and we have to do this extra work, but how much extra work is happening because of the disengagement because we're not doing it and find a way to do it. Absolutely right. So it's again, how bad do you want it? And again, I really like what, what you just shared. What, what are the consequences of ineffective communication? So, you know, what you're trying isn't working um, and you're seeing those results. So you just have to figure out how to fix that and how to, and so the question is, well, Hardy, how do I know? Well, uh, duh, maybe ask. 
So in, in the recruiting process, in the, in the initial orientation onboarding process, just ask, Chris, how, how, did, how would you like to be communicated with? How often do you want to be communicated with? And, and let me share something that, you know, right now, um, and not exactly sure how long we're going to be in the same situation that we're in, uh, but we're in, a, we're in a, a time of uncertainty. We're in a time of disruption. This is when board engagement is so critical. And, and this is a time when you should be over communicating with your board, not less. Yes. And, and there's a whole lot of potential for surprises and board members don't want to be surprised. And that that's a part of that communication process. You know, it's funny, you know, you simplify it so much and it's, and it, it is that simple. It really is. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said something to the, to the same effect to people, you know, whether it's just ask or just tell them or whatever. I was just talking with a client the other day and, you know, he's got some new people and he's a highly introverted guy. And he said, you know, he said, I'm all, I'm, I'm in my head a lot. And I, you know, I'm not a small talk guy and he's not, he's not a small talk kind of person. It's like when people want to get in and start small talking with me, I don't want to come across as rude. And you know, how do I get around? It? I said, have you ever thought about just telling them that you're an introvert and you're not a small talk guy? Can you do that? <laughs> Yes, you can do that. You know, these simple things that, you know, I get paid as a consultant, you get paid as a consultant to come in and, and, and honestly, all we really do need to do is get these people talking about it. Just, just put it out there. Just share your honest truth and talk about it. Ask the question. Don't make assumptions. It really is not that complicated. You're, you're exactly right. And one of the things that I do in, in, in working with boards and in these types of critical conversation situations is, is do a, um, a personality assessment. And there's, of course, there's lots of personality assessments in the marketplace, but it's one of my favorite things to do because I know what, what the result is going to be. And I'm just trying to keep a straight face and not give it away. Right. So, you know, we go through the, we go through the, the assessment and, and invariably, those taking the assessment are thinking we're talking about the, someone else, that it, it's, oh, it's these other people, my, my board members, uh, that, that I'm trying to understand them. Well, yes, and then what's the other half of the assessment? It's understanding who you are. And so while we just spent, a few minutes talking about personality types of, of, of individual board members, you just hit the nail on the head, 100% virtual high five to you, Chris, because you have a personality type as well. So if you want to be an effective communicator and effective in your board member relationships, you have to adapt because they're not changing. Yeah. They're not changing. So you have a choice, stay the way you are or, shift how you communicate, how you relate to them. And so, okay, you might have to adjust your communication style to match up with theirs. Make, will make a huge difference in your relationships. Yeah, we've often said the, the best leaders are the chameleons, right? Um, you know who to pat on the back and who to kick on the butt. But if you kick everyone in the butt, half of them are not going to be happy. Right. And, yes. and you're going to have a bigger exactly problem right. and maybe some lawsuits on your hand and all of that. So well, some may kick back. Yeah. Some may kick back and, and, and some do. Right. So um, this this adaptive ad concept of adaptive leadership is, is really, really key in these these areas. And, you know, we talk about, you know, transforming and it, it is a transformative expert. So so lastly, when you consider a board, how do you believe that a board can truly be then transformative in helping their nonprofit and helping each other? That is a, an extremely compelling question. And let's see, let's see what we can do to, to help, help some organizations out right now with some good advice. Again, let me just walk back. Um, we, are, we are facing, again, a time of uncertainty, uh, disruption. But when you really think about it, it's always been that way. It's always something. It, it, you know, right now, it, it's a pandemic. Um, but it's always been something. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's always going to be something. 
the world of nonprofits um, in all of this disruption and, and uncertainty, you know, have a tremendous challenge. Um, they're, they're, they're competing. There's never enough money. And what else is happening to the world of nonprofits, especially those in the social service sector, the need for their service is increasing at rates they just can't keep up with. Right. So from an organization, we talked about recruiting board members and, and not doing same things the same way. Organizations have got to be a got to adapt and need uh, recognizing that that change is needed. And organizations, I recently spoke for Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and they've been there over 100 years old, and and they have survived, but they're not the same organization they were over 100 years ago, and so they've adapted. So to do that, engage your boards, let your boards become high-value assets so that you use them in a strategic way, and they will lead you to transformative results. Yeah, it, I think it's an excellent way to be wrapping our show. We are unfortunately at the end of our time, but it's such an important piece, this this last part of it, is get them engaged on what's most important. The boards can help you find people. The boards can help you find money. And you know what? No truer words have been said than what you said at the beginning of, of this commentary. It's always something, and it's always going to be something. Right. Exactly there, there, right. There's, you know, it, it's just all these people that are using it as an excuse right now. No, I, you know, look, this is business. This is the world. We, we change and we evolve. So um, I can't thank you enough for joining me, Hardy. Um, this has been really, really great uh, for the listeners out there. Again, the book is Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game. Uh, it's Hardy Smith and Hardy. The book is available, I'm assuming, Amazon and all the other good places. Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Indie, Porchlight. Yes, we're, we're everywhere. Or, or just either Amazon or hardysmith.com is my website. And we'll get you where you need to go to get your copy of the book. Well, and I would say, don't be fooled by the fact that it says nonprofit in it, or even the word that it says board, because, um, there's a lot of just good, solid, practical advice for anybody, whether it's about a relationship. If you think about finding employees that are the right fit, not just board members, I think this board translates across a lot of boundaries. So again, really glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. Chris, thank you so very much for, for what you, you bring uh, through your uh, Transformative Experts podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, that's it for this week. More great shows coming up, and thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.